This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. To the Motive Labs, the Future of Finance podcast. Today, I'm joined by Andy Ellis of RBS, Head of Strategy and Innovation in RBS's Commercial and Private Bank. Welcome, Andy. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. One of the longest job titles we've had in so far, I think. We may have to edit and make it smaller for, for the podcast online. Andy, you're a renowned financial services strategist and, and innovator known across the UK and global FS ecosystem. You've been at RBS nearly a decade. I don't mean to shock you, but yeah, I looked at your LinkedIn earlier. Could you tell us a little bit about what your role at RBS entails? Sure. Yeah. Like you said, I've been at RBS for a, for a number of years now. I was part of the ABN AMRO acquisition, actually. So I'm one of, the, one of the few that's left. So I did strategy in the mid-corporate bank in RBS for a number of years. And about two years ago, I was given, I was asked to do innovation. And what that has effectively turned into is running the ventures business in the commercial and the private bank. So my job is to take ideas to seed, build and accelerate to scale digital businesses. So I look after about eight businesses at the moment, most of which are either in pilot or live, anything that really faces into commercial, supports commercial customers. So from direct lender, merchant acquiring, standalone digital bank. And it is my job as an entrepreneur, if you will, to kind of manage that portfolio and deliver value for our customers and value for our shareholders. Thanks. Over the, the recent years... You look quite underwhelmed when you said that. Is <laughs> <laughs> that because you were thinking? That's why we don't do video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Over the last five years, it's become increasingly crowded in, in the venture space. And the banks obviously have a, a lot to offer that other people don't have. I really like the, the way you just put it, from ideas to seed, build, scale. Mm-hmm. What are RBS doing to set yourselves apart? And what's your innovation kind of framework? How, how are you guys doing it differently? Well, I think setting ourselves apart, We've, if you think about apart from fintechs, we've got a million customers. Mm-hmm. So that gives me a tremendous advantage in terms of getting feedback when I build things and distributing when I built them because our cost of acquisition is massively low and we've got lots of lots of DNA in meeting customer needs and understanding of our customers and access. So so setting ourselves apart from fintechs, I think, is is pretty clear. And then I think the setting ourselves apart from other banks, it's probably in how bold we are being in this regard. So I'm not familiar with many other banks doing ventures at scale. I know there's, you know, you do see lots of innovation kind of coming up on the headlines. But what we've done in terms of carving out a significant investment pool, working with partners working at pace to really get things out there i think there's a cultural mindset that enables that and just a boldness of ambition that we've set out probably earlier and bolder than than others to get there well and it sounds incredibly dynamic in all of that at the same time customers are changing aren't they what are you seeing out in the marketplace and and how do you sort of adapt to that customers are changing i think they're not changing as 
as quickly or as universally as we might think sometimes as we sit in in our kind of London bubble and read our fintech headlines mm. and kind of look at all the predictions and, and, and hear about all the new tech. So there is a ton of customers out there that, that aren't necessarily changing. They're still doing things in the same way. However, when you do put something, a piece of kit, a, a digital service or a product in front of customers that really works... It's convenient. It's much better than what they have. They absolutely eat it up straight away and you, you can see it fly. So, for example, I have a, a small business advisory, kind of digital app called Path. And when we work with customers through an HR journey to help them when they're growing. So, for example, if there's a grievance, when we digitize that and enable them to do it, customers absolutely love it. You've got an MPS well over 70, you've got high adoption rates, and it's fantastic when you give them what you want. But I think it's a little bit of a myth that customers have moved and become really digital overnight en masse. Right. Um, clearly, you know, the adoption of online banking and, and contactless cards, et cetera, we all know about in the consumer space. Yeah. But I guess my, my passion at the moment is around SMEs. And it's looking at that space and really seeing how many small businesses still operate their businesses on spreadsheets. They spend lots of their time doing their receipts, their invoices, their, their bookkeeping, their pipeline, all on spreadsheets. And a lot of what I'm doing is to put digital businesses around and to these SMEs that they can pick up seamlessly and in a sense move them from spreadsheets onto the cloud. And there is tremendous productivity increases if we can get them there. Right. And how much do you have to know about what their lives look like? Because it sounds as if their reaction to sort of new products and services is going to be based on, on real need. Because these small businesses, they don't, they don't sit on a lot of expertise and time, do they? No, you have to really understand what they want. Because adoption rates at kind of the business and the SME level on, on new kit is really quite low mm. unless it's really compelling or really easy. So there are tons of companies out there looking at SMEs and saying, look, it's largely a manual kind of operation that these entrepreneurs set up businesses or not even entrepreneurs, just, just kind of sole traders. They set up their businesses to do business. They don't do it to manage business. So they'll find the easiest most kind of okay way of doing it right so you have to go in with something that's much better and easy to adopt because if there's any friction there yeah they won't do it yeah. so one of the big problems that companies enterprises have when they look at smes is saying look we can see why you'd want to use this but the inertia to get someone to kind of take the take the software out of the package and start using it is quite high. So I think that's something to really crack and that goes into the design. It's why we work with customers all along the way. I spend a lot of time with, with other enterprises who look at me and say, guys, you've got the RMs, you've got the branches, you've got the reach, you know, can we partner up so that we can help sell our business software to our customers? So I know that we've got the, we've got the branches and the, we've got the distribution channels that we can unlock yeah. and help customers assist, handhold, listen to them to really be successful in this space. Because that's a big real scale, isn't it? A million, million customers. customers yeah. you know, a lot of million banks customers. talk about a million you know, personal customers and you're talking about these are small businesses and businesses. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, I don't spend lots of time thinking about the real improvements that you get from each of these. But if you scan, so for example, the CBI reports on, on cloud adoption, you can get... I don't know, 10% productivity increase just by taking on cloud accounting. Yeah. Right. So if you imagine that you can 
push that out at scale to customers yeah. and the productivity improvements across the UK and an impact on the economy and the people setting up their businesses is, is absolutely massive. So that's kind of what gets me out of bed at the moment. And uh, sorry, this is Sam. I, I suddenly realised we swapped, uh, swapped yeah, voices. Yeah, and a I change in accent. Turned into an articulate Zimbabwean. <laughs> <laughs> um, just on, on that point and talking yeah. about innovative solutions, I mean, there's, there's one out at the moment that I really like that take something that, that most people hadn't thought about, which was payroll. And, you know, we in the UK have paid people typically once every 30 days. Mm-hmm. Um, very hard to incentivize and remind the people that you work with uh, every day they're earning. And there are certain solutions out there that, yeah. that now allow you to pay your staff as you go, mm-hmm. as they earn it. What sort of innovative solutions do you think we're going to start seeing in this space? And how are RBS going to enable their business banking customers to deliver really life-changing problems? Positions. So I think a couple of ways of thinking about that. Payroll is a very good example of, a, of an adjacency where banks and other companies will say, look, a business doesn't want to do payroll. They want it to be done. It's necessary and it's somewhere to take it off their hands cheaply, whether it's an accountancy or an accountant or whether it's a bank. It's a great example of something that they would like to give away and not, not get done. So I'm constantly looking for those kind of ideas. I'm looking to stitch them together so data, data could be shared so they can toggle in and out. So it's seamless. So everything's in one place. So that's, I guess, point one is that that is something that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about. And I think then if you get that cheap and right and easy and you put customers on it and you integrate it with bookkeeping and accounts payable and, and advice comes in if they want to make do something on business, managing the business, whether it's growing, dealing with employees, whether it's bringing on employees or dealing with a, with a, a grievance, you've immediately improved the game, immediately improved the game. You can then start to think about, okay, um, insurance, you know, you don't have to look too far to find insurance companies that are now saying, okay, well, I'll insure you every day where if I know where you are, right? So I, I came across one actually today where someone said, if you're a photographer and you've got expensive kit, I'll insure you on the day you're going to a shoot to a, a place that's um, a bit more high risk. And I'll just do that on a daily ticket. And I think we will get to things like that. I think lending, dynamic lending, whether it's against a payroll or whether it's against things like um, app development, New ways of getting in the lending journey quick at the time of need it is coming. But I think just getting that basic integration of banking and financial business management services in one place, good value, get SMEs on it, massive difference. Just to sort of slightly change the, the direction there, you talked at the beginning about yourself as sort of an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Yeah. Starting up these uh, digital difference. businesses. Got a mortgage to pay. And, and yeah, and that, that was really my point, I suppose. <laughs> Here you are starting up these digital businesses in a, in a very exciting fashion. Yeah. You know, uh, hard for a lot of people to relate that to RBS and the mm. culture perhaps that they imagine is there. And, and it must have been phenomenal change in the organization in the last few years. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I often reflect as to why and how we got ourselves into this, this position. Mm. And I think there's some degree of enlightenment at the kind of the executive level where, where Ross and others and Simon McNamara, our, our CIO, they opened their eyes and they went to Silicon Valley and they said kind of what's out there. And I think it came at the end of RBS beating ourselves up for a good six, seven or eight years. And there's probably this moment where we thought, you know what, 
we need to come out of this. We need to be bolder. We need to kind of drop some of the... With humility, we need to have a go at growing again. And the fintech world and this kind of digital enablement of, of APIs and data sharing and some of the things on open banking all came at a time where we, you know, we'd been, we'd been in remediation. So I think there's this natural culture where we, we just went and grabbed it. And I was extremely lucky that I was, I was the head of strategy when all this came together. So I, I went to the board with my CEO, Alison Rose, and we said, open banking is happening. Disruptions happening to other businesses. We need to do something dramatic. So I wrote a dramatic paper, um, and I said we need to. This is what we need to do. And the board were were kind enough to agree. And because I owned innovation as well, luck would have it. Then I was the guy who was sent off to make it happen. So there was no there was a bit of serendipity there, where the handover between the thinkers and the doers was my left hand and right hand. Mm. So I was able to kind of get agreed on the Friday, kick it off on the Monday. And in the meantime, I developed this context where, you know, people like Ross and others were saying, you know, there's a better world out there. We've got Silicon Valley. I can see it happening. We've got footprint in Israel. We've got scouts. So this all fits. So, yeah, so, so we, a number of stars were aligned to, to mm. kind of enable me to go off and do that. And then there was a bit of just... I don't know, blind confidence or optimism that if I swung the bat, yeah. things would happen. And and I had a natural bias to action, as did my boss. So we didn't hang around. And all of a sudden, we stood things up in the cloud and we got partners to help us. And this, this snowball of momentum kind of happened. So people were looking at, at us from, from the core going, gosh, these things can happen and they can happen uh, quickly and at a reasonable cost. So one of the one of the great kind of things that we're, we're, we're very proud of is that when people then look at what people like me have achieved in the bank, and I'm, I'm, I'm far from the only one, what we've done in the cloud, the way that we've adopted Agile, the way that people have looked at us and said, you know what, well, we want some of this, we want to keep up and we want to, we've, got, we've got some belief here. That's really reflected back into the, into the bank, which, is, which has really got more of a spring in its step and, and has been a bit more... Uh, ambitious around adoption of new technology right. so which is which is a perhaps great a good time to talk about some of those i mean yeah. some of those innovations those things that you've delivered yeah so i mean look so so innovation is a funny job title because when i first started this job a couple of years ago i inherited two junior folks really so that that was it and i was innovation in in my business line now there is a ton of innovation happening that's not me, which I'm, I'm delighted about. So in the core, the product franchise has gone from a control simplification agenda to heads of innovation because they see themselves as doing things quickly with partners in an agile way. Absolutely delighted about that. We've got at least 10 artificial intelligence proof of concepts happening in the bank. We had this, I guess, our commercial digital platform called Bankline, which was underinvested in for the best part of 10 years, has now been hugely upgraded. And we, we're one of the first banks, if not the first bank in the UK, to have a commercial mobile app. So it's gone from you know very sleepy to something very quick, just because we set off this agenda. If I then look to what I do, which is the stuff off to the side, let's get an idea, let's build it quickly, let's incubate it. I guess there are some common characteristics on that. I have standard, I have standard kind of templates and ways that people do stuff. So very active management. I don't just say come and sit in my nice, cool environment. I, I say, you know, this is the this is what you have to prove to me. This is the funding that you get when you prove your assumptions. You act in a certain way. 
you have steercos every couple of weeks where I push and pull you around and we have executive sponsors on each one. So we, we share the load. There's a real business pool. We've got customers throughout. So there's some very clear characteristics in there. We partner on everyone. The, the less we build, the more successful we seem to be, or at least more cost effective. So we're learning, we're learning about that. But, you know, what, what I don't have is the very, very newest tech. So you'll find very little blockchain. You'll find AI that's proven and accessible. You will find, for example, Metal, which is the current account bank that we, we built in the best part of nine to 12 months, the, the business bank, I beg your pardon. It's got 60 partners, 60 SaaS providers. So there's a lot of stitching. Yeah. Um, so, so my secret source, the way I'm going to be successful, is not because I get the latest tech. Of course, I use modern tech. Of course, I use modern platforms. Yeah, that, that's kind of a given. It's been able to stitch those together, listen to customers and get the proposition right, whether that's pricing, whether that's kind of, you know, the, the branding around it, whether it's really understanding what the, the killer thing that the, the customer wants is really, really important and much more important than the, the tech that I use. And then I think this is where this is where I'm an entrepreneur, not an entrepreneur, is, you know, it's my job to to manage the bank for better or for worse. Right. So it's my job to convince the relationship management community and their, their, their lords and masters that in their objectives this year, they need to sell my stuff. And I need to do that in a sensible way. And I need to know the rhythm and I need to know what ticks their boxes. I need to know how to work with our security team and our supply chain services team such that we are weapons grade, that the bank's happy because I'm, I'm 100% within the bank's policies. I'm 100% the stuff is owned by the bank. I'm not doing anything kind of out of those, but I've got to work in this environment to get the right pace and the right kind of insight and knowledge from the bank to make sure that we're moving along, but really well. So that's, that's kind of the other half of my job. And that's, that's again, another reason why I think, you know, the bank gets it sometimes gets in its own way, but I've got to have the patience of an entrepreneur mm. with a bit of a push of an entrepreneur. And that's, that's kind of how I yeah, that I makes navigate my day. And I guess, as you say, at the end of the day, a lot of the disconnect seems to happen with these innovations is, is consumption. You know, that, as you say, people race after the, the fanciest tech or the newest idea. But whatever they do, they're not looking at that second stage you talked about, which is actually finding the customers inside the, the bank that are going to actually use it and consume it. You can't get too far ahead of your customers. I mean, that's just, then I'd be operating in a lab. So if I, if I set this thing off two years ago, mm. and luckily, I, I, you know, one of the things that people were talking about, blockchain was the top of the hype cycle when I started this thing off. And I, I recognize for my customers and, and for a sense for my career, that if I chase blockchain for the next five years, I might have got the timing wrong. Mm. So I've got no doubt that blockchain will transform something sometime soon or at some time but it's about saying what do our, what do our customers want what's available now what can i what can how can i get results how can i get something in their hands and the most successful ventures that we've built so far have just been very simple you know optimize which is the accounts payable platform that we've built just basically goes to our customers and says let me automate your accounts payable therefore you are going to save a load of money managing this stuff manually you're going to be able to grow your accuracy levels go through the roof on your accounts payable and we'll do this quite cheaply and we'll plug it in and you know it's like hotcakes absolutely fantastic so without overthinking this stuff 
Yeah, we've delivered a really nice service to our customers. And your story of, of bringing in sort of 60-odd partners, mm. uh, that must mean that you're also very outward-looking, that you yes. understand you know, who's out there, what they're doing. And, and I guess this is at quite a granular level. How, how do you manage all of that? I look out as much as I need to to get my job done. So, so you could be, it's like looking at the stars in the sky, right? You could be, you could spend all night through your telescope and that's fun. But actually I'm like, okay, so what pieces of functionality do I need to be successful by my customers? I will go find them. Mm. I'm not going to make a hobby out of seeing what's out there and how, how much is emerging. So when I first picked up the job and when I first started to stitch some of this to, together, lots of looking outside, seeing what's happened, but actually this doesn't change that much. You know, the, the new ideas, the new tech over the last three years, once you've understood it, it tends to be quite incremental. Mm. So I don't spend my time looking externally too much. I look look at customers and what I provide more than I look at kind of the fintech, the fintech world too much. But, you know, if I am going to have some onboarding capability, I'm going to go buy the best two to three SaaS providers to help me do that. And they tend to be, there's not many in the market do it. It's not a competitive differentiator. So you go and get them and you stitch them in. Then you move on. And kind of one of the arguments yep. that sometimes put forward that um, you know, your role shouldn't exist inside a bank in a way is because you're a regulated entity and it's too hard. You know, yep. So yep. all of this stuff is all this clever thinking has got to happen outside a bank because you know that's where all the free thinkers live. Yep. Well, clearly not the case. How do you deal, though, with the, the, the fact that you are in a, a very you know, controlled, regulated environment, which is there for a purpose? If you're genuinely driven by customers and customers' needs, and that's what you want to meet, you tend to be able to operate in the regulatory framework. The FCA are very supportive of what we're trying to do in principle. We're metal. One of my bigger businesses is, is in the FCA sandbox. So, we, you know, we... We kind of embrace that and we we turn, try and turn it to our advantage. So, you know, I, I want to make sure, touch wood, inshallah, that I never have a security breach. So I am happy to spend as much time with our security team to go back to the PRA or the FCA and to make sure that we are have a higher standard of security than perhaps some of our, our newer competitors have. And I want to make sure that when I go to our customers, and I put, and I, I more often do the not, the NatWest name, to something that I've created. I want them to know that that's a regulated business. I want them to know that they're not going to lose their money. We're not going to mess around with their data or their privacy. So I'm, I'm absolutely fine free thinking within that, that set of parameters. When people mention regulation and security breach, it's my turn to turn okay, to the fun exactly questions. <laughs> and when I say fun guys. questions, I don't mean Elon Musk yeah, yeah, podcast yeah. fun questions. I mean, <laughs> I mean, kind of boring fun questions, but I'm sure you'll make them fun. Yeah, okay. Um, you spoke a bit earlier about the, the changing culture from the, the C-suite at RBS, yeah. particularly when they went to San Francisco. Yeah. On perusing your LinkedIn, I saw that you spent some time at the Singularity University on the West Coast. No doubt for the weather, but what was so that the like? The danger of LinkedIn, Sam. Um, <laughs> I know so much about you. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so, so for those who haven't come across or been to Singularity, certainly kind of two or three years ago when I, when I first went and then a bunch of us went on this program, it was mind-blowing actually. I went to the executive program, immersive five days. You could kind of see the future. You, you, you drink in the Silicon Valley positivity and the inevitableness of disruption. And you come back and you think, 
everyone reacts in a certain way, right? Because the, f- the future is pretty scary if you think about it too much, or it's very positive, is which if you think about it in a, in a different way, which is you know, singularity is all about the abundance and the kind of enabling of tech as opposed to the kind of the job disruption or, or shrinkage. So I guess my, my biggest takeaway was don't sweat the small stuff because, you know, there, there are some big tectonic movements going on. So don't come back to your desk and worry about the small things because mm-hmm. that's not going to matter when you roll the clock forward and you think about what you've achieved in your career. And keep that horizon in the, the kind of outer years because if you're not solving for three to five years or beyond, you're, you're just solving for the problems in front of you. So I changed, my, I changed my horizon to three to five years and thought I'm not going to do anything unless it solves for that. And if the bank kind of don't like that then that's fine but that's the way i'm going to operate but i had massive levels of support and i think this inevitability the reminder that you know disruption is coming whether it's this year five years time ten years time disruption in our business is coming so just keep remembering that even if it doesn't feel like it day to day and either be a bystander or do something about it Mm. so the, the final the final kind of module at singularity is all about what are you going to do about it and it's it's the kind of, do you want to be the bystander or the critic or do you want to be a player? Mm-hmm. And I came back thinking, this is going to happen. I'm going to be a player. I'm going to swing the bat. So very, very transformative in terms of that trip. That was a long answer, sorry. Yeah, no, it's a yeah, good answer. Can... I think I, I want to be a player too. But <laughs> I, did, I did the cheap man's version and read the book Abundance. by uh, There you go. It's very positive. It's, it's, it's a, a very great positive story. It's a, yeah, it's a great book. Okay, yeah, you talked about pushing your time horizon out three to five years. Yeah. I'm going to push your time horizon out 12 months and ask you to really nail your colours to the wall. Predictions for 2019. Okay. You already mentioned the word blockchain. I feel like there's got to be a blockchain one in there somewhere. Mm, I'm going to avoid that one. I'm okay. going to avoid that okay. one because the last time, the first time I was ever asked that was with, I think it was eFinancial News or Euro Money or something. And I was a bit annoyed with this journalist who kept asking me about blockchain. So I, I made some kind of flippant throwback comment about it not being very on top of my agenda. And he wrote a whole positive story about blockchain, apart from, however, some banks don't believe it, so, and then quoted me. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm a bit nervous about blockchain. So I'll, I'll, I'll claim the fifth on that one if I can. Of course. Look, I'm, I'm a positive person, so I'm going to paint a beautiful view of the world. I think that, uh, once again, Tottenham will fail to win the premiership and they might, their Pochettino might go to Manchester United and they'll, they'll kind of continue to underachieve for the next five to ten years. I think England will surprise everyone and win the World Cup in Japan. More controversially, I think one of the new banks will run out of steam. The neobanks will run out of steam somehow. So they'll either, mm-hmm. they'll either not get their funding or they'll have a down round and the confidence might go out of that particular bubble as, as kind of costs increase and revenues remain mm-hmm. elusive. I think there will be an SME business service breakthrough of some description. So RBS are putting a, a, a ton of cash because of, through the Williams and Glynn remedies into this market. People like me are, are really going in and recognizing it needs disruption. Mm-hmm. Companies like Zero are going in trying to claim the space and the government are pushing things like making tax digital. So whether it's 19 or early 20, for the small business, I think the support they get from banking and adjacent business services will be transformed and there'll be a big productivity increase for that particular community. 
And then finally, well, I'm painting a beautiful picture, I think post-Brexit we'll have some kind of deal or it won't happen and we'll see jobs being created in the City of London and uh, the City of London regaining its, its mojo and people start coming back and it will be growing and it will be a fun, dynamic place for the next uh, foreseeable future. And just to clarify, that was not a no deal. That was a, a, a deal of some sort that, that's positive or it just doesn't happen. I don't mind. I'm just hoping. So people whenever, come back. Whenever we end up, whatever we put behind it, that we, we kind of get our mojo back as a, right. as a square mile and, and more broadly as a country and okay. start creating jobs and being innovative again. So we've got five predictions there. The football, the rugby, the neobank, the SME breakthrough and the Brexit. If you get four out of those five Right, next year. In fact, I can't say that probably because of gift policy at the bank. I'll buy you a beer. I look forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And if I don't, I'll buy you one. Perfect. There we go. We don't, I don't think we have, I oh, know we do have a policy on gifts. Yeah, okay. oh, beer it is. Um, final one. We ask everyone the same question, but, but you know, we interview some amazing people and, and your background is, is truly fascinating, as is your role. But I'm sure you've had your own mentors and role models through mm. your own career. Who have been the influential women and men that, uh, that you would like to cite? Gosh. So I, through my job, I've worked for a number of CEOs because that's, that's kind of what you do as a, as a head of strategy. And I guess if I, t- if I come at this from a, the characteristics perspective, I think, I think the best leaders I've worked for are unifying. Mm-hmm. So they're the ones that bring everybody together lockstep. And, and when you see that happen, that's pretty impressive and a sight to see. And the qualities that I personally respect and look for from a leader would be positivity integrity and humanity so if i'm if i'm going to work my socks off for someone i want to know them as a human and i want them to know me as a human and respect me and be interested in me so that's just a personal Mm. personal element if i if i'm to get to people this is a tough one i think i'd I'd probably build a, a composite leader so if i look at um Someone like Stephen Hester, his brain was was incredible. Our current CEO, Ross, his integrity, charm, openness, positivity, I think is is really second to none. So, so I'd like to take that in my kind of composite leader. My current leader in my business unit, the CEO of CPB, is Alison Rose, and she has displays tremendous positivity. She backs herself and her team to achieve without mm. always knowing the kind of end goal. So she has that confidence and sense of adventure. And, mm-hmm. and probably one of probably the biggest reason I'm sat here today talking to you, which she said, go off and do this. So mm. I'd take I'd take that element of, of her. So yeah, so put those together. We've got a good kind of RBS composite. Yeah. If I if I take a step back and think leaders who are impressive at the the moment who I've never met, I think what what Satch is doing at Microsoft yeah. is pretty incredible really taking that thing from a from an old also ran tech business to the top of the pile again in a very distinct and very positive way i think is 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 amazing so i'd like Mm -hmm. to i'd love to spend more time and learn from him so i think that's that's about it it's a great answer thank you and thank you in general andy thanks for coming in thanks for sharing your thoughts with us it's been super interesting really appreciate it thank you very much for having me thank you for your time and insights And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time.
The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Motive Partners. Motive Partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by Motive Partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.